Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia, and usually I'm here with co-host Ellie, but it's just me this time. Um, I'm Saudi American and a lesbian, and then Ellie is bi, trans, Lebanese. Um, She's usually with me, and just check out the rest of our episodes and get to know her if you haven't. Um, Today, I have a really amazing guest on, and I'm super excited, Um, Amina. Can you introduce yourself and describe to the listeners what you do? Hi, um, thank you so much for having me, Alia. Thank you. My name is <laughs> my name is Amina May Safi. I am an author based in Los Angeles. I mm-hmm. write young adult fiction. My first book is called Not the Girls You're Looking For, and I say it's my ode to mean girls, messy friendships, and bad decisions. And it follows. Lulu Saad in her junior year as she makes a mess of her family and her friendships during the holy month of Ramadan. (laughs) And my my second book is Tell Me How You Really Feel and it is an enemies to lovers rom-com featuring two girls on opposite sides of the social scale as they work to make a movie and try very hard not to fall in love. Uh, it's a rom-com, so spoiler, they, they fall in love. I just, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's kind of par for the course. Um, and they're like, I just want to has- embrace my enemyship. Let me embrace it. But they can't. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love enemies to lovers. Like, I will read the worst written stuff if it's enemies to lovers because it's just my it's my favorite thing on planet earth i love enemy vibes because i feel like if you yeah yeah, if you have that strong of feelings for an enemy like who knows what that'll turn into (laughs) yeah yeah it's not yes like the opposite of of love isn't hate it's indifference right like totally yeah like you care deeply Um, I actually had this conversation with my agent about how also enemies to lovers when you're talking about any kind of classic Mm rom-com is like the one space where like kind of mouthy, brassy, ambitious women get to get to be the lead. Um, Like it's not a good girl who's angelic. It's like this girl, it's usually a woman with a career. It's a woman who's witty, who's funny, who talks back like that's where she kind of got to live when we were talking about like the classical idea like I'm going all the way back to like Shakespeare right like yeah that was where that character got to actually have her leading lady moment and I think that's why I was always drawn to it and I think that's why I put two ambitious girls who just go toe to toe um yeah. it's my also my Paris Rory ship too because I just feel like oh that's my god oh uh, Gilmore Girls oh, yes yeah. I love it um yeah actually since we're on the topic, can you talk about like what uh, the connection between Gilmore Girls and uh, your first book, or no, the second book? Sorry, the second book. And yeah. tell me how you really feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's. I was actually writing this enemy lovers rom com, and I was rewatching um, all of Gilmore Girls to catch to like rewatch it for the revival that came on. And I just started to think about how much I loved the Paris and Rory ship and how great it was and how it lasts through seven seasons and a, and a revival. And that's, that's really the great, the great ship of that show. They're two, they start out as two young women who like push each other's buttons and Mm -hmm. push each other to be better. And they become like each other's greatest, like confidants and allies and support system. And I just love that transition so much. And I love that they compete with each other and they find a way to compete in a healthy way rather than a destructive way. Like I love everything about that. Yeah, they end up pushing each other to succeed and like exactly get better. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Cause even when Paris is is competing with Rory, she's like, "Well, don't you know you need to like also do other stuff to to compete for college applications?" It's like Paris wants to beat Rory fair and square. She doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't want to like beat her because Rory doesn't have the information. She wants to like best her in that in that worthy competitor way, which I love. Um, yeah, and I love that in a romance. yeah I love that and like both of them even though they start out as rivals they both respect each other Mm -hmm. yeah there's so much respect for each other and what each other is capable of and that's yeah I mean that's what's so fun about enemies to lovers is you take two people who hate each other and the first thing you do is like you build their respect and then you build their trust and then you build their friendship and it's like it's very cool to watch them begrudgingly (laughs) <laughs> like give each other these things on an emotional level um, because yeah. it's very 
very hard one and, and fun. I like that dynamic so much too. Turning to you personally, what's your background like Swano wise, where you grew up, et cetera, anything you want to share? So I grew up in Houston, Texas. Um, I was born in Houston. Mm-hmm. My dad is from Iraq. So he migrated okay. here uh, for work in the 70s. He went through okay. uh, London in the UK first, and then he came here. He met and fell in love with my mom, who she grew up in Dallas, um, and she was okay. in Houston. And her family is, it's funny, um, her family is, her father's from Mexico, so she's half Mexican, and then the other half is German-Texan, um, like German-Texan farming community. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I always think it's funny, because when you say that, people always assume like she had one ESL parent, but she actually had two, um, because my grandmother's oh. first language in those like small farming communities was German. So it is... I think I have this like very strong appreciation of a lot of languages and the way that cultures kind of come together in in people. Um, so my mom is mixed and I'm mixed. Um, I am Muslim. I feel like that that gets you. And I live in Los Angeles now. I it's so nice seeing a mixed character um, that will appeal to teenage girls. Um, you and I are very similar in that, like, my mom is originally from the southern region of the U.S. as well, and my father is yeah. from Saudi Saudi Arabia. And so, like, I definitely relate to that dynamic of the cultures coming together, but also having that separation and having to figure out when you can bridge them and when you have to keep them separate and, like, navigating life. And it's definitely tricky. Not I think you, you develop an appreciation for the ways in which things that are really, really different are actually very similar. Uh, and the ways yeah. in which, like, your parents who... Like my parents, obviously, like my mom grew up in Dallas in the 60s um, mm-hmm. and 70s. And my dad grew up in Baghdad um, in the 50s and 60s. Like there are ways in which they could not be more different. And then there's these other ways where they have these like deep, com- like common bonds that are so amazing to like see. And like watching that push pull was, I to me, it could be really frustrating as a teenager. But the older I get, the more I just think it was really beautiful to be able to see that there is more than one way to live in this world and there's more than one way to like live well and be happy and that totally. those like those differences can like get in an argument or butt heads a little bit but they don't have to live separately from one another right like they can coexist and they can fight and then they can come to something better on the other side or at least different and they can come to an understanding that I think is really cool to watch and that was really cool to watch as as a kid and it's so cool to like right for us in our positions like how we are able to foster those connections in certain ways that like mm-hmm maybe our family, like our grandparents might have, at least for me, kind of resisted my parents' marriage, but- On you know, on both sides or, or uh, one side more than the other? My mom's side more than the other, as far as I know. Yeah, my mom's side too. It was same. Yeah, it was like, like what, a like, Muslim? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A Muslim so, and an immigrant, what are you doing? <laughs> right, right. What will the church say? well and mine was funny in that it was my mom's extended family and like what I consider non-nuclear so it was like my grandparents were all great on all sides and obviously it's because like my grandmother on my mom's side also married like a Mexican man and an immigrant right like she also did that Um, oh okay yeah so my, my grandfather immigrated and he met my grandmother Oh. Um, so I think like, yeah, so like my mom grew up, I think like that helped a little bit, but like it was still, I think, really hard for people to to wrap their brains around. And I think people were always trying to like, I think what's difficult about being mixed race growing up or even growing up in a like multiple religious household is this idea that you have to be one thing. And I think when mm-hmm. you grow up with all of these multitudes, you get really comfortable not just code switching, but understanding that like there's an ebb and flow of like who's in charge where kind of. Um, I put this in actually in Tell Me How You Really Feel where Sana's grandmother is uh, Iranian, she's Persian and her grandfather is um, South Asian. And I wanted to like have that ebb and flow where it's like, he's kind of in charge of all of the movies that she saw growing up, but like Mamani is in charge of like all of the food, right? Like there are these places uh where like somebody wins and somebody like, where certain languages like take over and some places they, they recede into the background. And I think growing up like that, you become really comfortable with that. It's when you, I found that what was hard for me, I don't know if this is true for you, but like yeah. going 
out into other spaces and feeling like I didn't have control over what people saw and what people reacted to was yeah. that was what was hard for me yeah. it's like people felt very and I think this is also growing up post 9-11 because I was 14 when that happened it was very like okay. pick a side right like you're in box or the other and I didn't want to have to do that and that's also why I wrote not the girls you're looking for because I wanted to I wanted to really protect this in-between space because I Mm. think so much of the narrative is like pick one and you'll be happy versus you just have to be comfortable with the fact that like you're never gonna be a hundred percent comfortable in any space like you're never gonna fully fit in and that's not a bad thing I think we treat that as like oh that's so sad versus like Mm -hmm. it's actually really cool like you're going to be equally out of place in in many places, but you'll also be equally in place in many places that like many people only fit into one slot or a couple slots. And I think that that's more and more true, especially with the younger generation. Like they're more mixed. They're more aware of all of these multitude of identities that they carry with them. And they're learning to be more at peace with that, which I think is really cool. Lately, I've been really happy to see celebrations of mixed identities versus like just the just the downsides of them and the struggles and stuff. So just like seeing the beauty being written about or like art that represents that identity and realizing like being mixed in a way is its own identity. It's you identify you're connected with several identities but then also so at the same time like being mixed is its own thing and it's kind of cool absolutely to like, yeah to t- to acknowledge that and, and even growing it. up like I went I realized like I had so many friends who are also mixed and I don't think it's because like I mean Houston is an incredibly diverse city and yeah. that is something definitely worth celebrating um, which is also why I, I said the book there because it's somewhere where someone like Lulu really does and can't exist um mm-hmm. But I I think that I was always like really related to people, even if their mixed culture was different than mine, they understood what it was to have that push and pull, right? Like they got, they got those areas where it was like, they understood why I respected my parents being protective in some ways. And then they also understood why I wanted to push back in other ways, um, in a way Mm -hmm. that like friends that were just say like Anglo-American didn't quite get, or friends who were just Arab-American didn't get. Like it was, they, they got that, in between space of like trying yeah. to to build something that was your own because you have to in order to kind of both survive and thrive in that environment. Yeah. I relate to that so much. Yeah, just like feeling uh, in many ways, like feeling more able to identify with other mixed folks, like to, mm-hmm. yeah, regardless of like where their parents are from. There's a there's a because they know sp- what it is to navigate that. Yeah, it's like a conversation is the wrong word, but it's like it's a constant. You're never on steady ground, I think is the best way to describe it. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but you're used to like navigating a ship through waters that are always changing. And that's how you live your life. And and they get that. Even if the specifics to them are totally different than the specifics to you, right. um, you get that under, it's like the specific is universal, right? Like theirs is specific to them and yours is specific to you, but they understand what you're doing and you get what they're doing too. And you get how how they're moving through the world in a way that someone who's not multiracial might not always understand and they might not intuitively get without like there I had plenty of friends who on on either side understood like were willing to listen and were open and that was wonderful but there is something Mm -hmm. about people who you you can just use the shorthand and they get it it's refreshing sometimes to just like not have to not have to articulate all of it um and i but i but at the same time i agree i appreciate people being willing to listen and learn about that experience um yeah yeah i totally get it it's cool you and i are very similar in age i was actually i was 16 when when 9 11 happened um, wow, yeah. So you can probably ident- like relate to the fact that there just wasn't much literature growing up with characters. No, it was it was yeah. Habibi. It was Habibi. That was it. Like anytime. Yeah. I love when I'm in a in a panel because it's like I see everyone else who's either mixed or Arab in there because I say, well, there people are like what what did you have? And I'm like, well, I had Habibi by Naomi Shihab Nye, and there's just like this little <laughs> bobbing of heads. I'm like, oh, I see. Yeah. We're the same age. This is what we had. Yep. The, <laughs> and then I yeah, think- I remember that book. Um, and then. <laughs> (laughs) yeah and I remember 
were like growing up on Sweet Valley books, and like, I mean, those books are fun. And to hear, I to, grew up on Babysitters Club. But oh, yeah. okay, yeah, okay. So yeah, similar literature, which are actually a little bit better. They're a they're, little bit they're, better more than they're more diverse. They're more diverse. They're more diverse. Yeah, yeah. Like there was at least like I there was at least enough diversity that you started to like like kind of approximate yourself in places. You're like, that's not me, but like we have similar yeah. traits, and she's also not white, so I can I can get there. At least you know, there's that. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Babysitter's Club was helpful um, in that aspect. I, I, For some reason, I was so stuck on Sweet Valley books. But in retrospect, I'm like, no wonder I, I never felt really attractive. Because like in those books, and I wonder if this is part of it, like in those books, they're always saying like the, the twins had these beautiful this beautiful blonde hair and these perfect ski jump noses and like I just remember as a (laughs) as a young kid reading that and feeling like oh okay so that's the ideal my nose definitely doesn't fit that description (laughs) so so, yeah I have to give my mom credit for this one um she always and I think she knew because she grew up mixed race and she grew up with a slightly broader nose and she she grew up like in the 60s in Dallas which is just its own world you know <laughs> yeah. world yeah, yeah let's go with world <laughs> <laughs> totally um, yeah and, and I think she was always pointing out people who had faces that were different from what you saw in the media different from what is described in books and like describing them as really really beautiful so oh. if there was like a really beautiful Arab woman with like a like a more of a sloping like Arab nose like she would be like mm-hmm. isn't she stunning doesn't she look regal like she was really really I good about that. doing that at such a young age that like I never and I feel really really lucky because there's all of these other things that that hit me later but like yeah. those those characteristics like I grew up thinking that like those were the most beautiful women right like the the oh, Arab women yeah. that I knew just like oh their skin is so olive and their hair is so dark and like they have these features that to me are like the most beautiful thing and I feel really lucky I had that community and I had my mom like steering that because you do you have to steer it because the culture will tell you yes the culture will fight back against that yeah um but like I really want to like credit her for that because that was amazing um and then I think so glad there were we were just starting to get and I think this is because I am part part Latina, like where you're getting, you were getting some Latinx people coming in. And so I also had those women in media to at least like start to see myself in, right? Like yeah, yeah. J-Lo was coming, Selena was, was mm-hmm. coming up when I was a kid, Jessica Alba, like you had these like, you know, Selma Hayek, who's also, um, she's Middle Eastern she's, and yeah. Latinx, like. Yeah, I that's think that, so cool. that helped. Yeah, Shakira, same thing. Like yeah, I think that really. I was constantly approximating myself and and trying to find versions of myself that I could see, and I think that that helped. But in books, yeah, it was really it was really dim, to be honest. I think I remember finding out about Salma Hayek and just being so excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it really does matter. It, it really makes a it's life-changing to have that representation it really does matter and it's not just like that's a beautiful woman and i could be beautiful i think that right you know, like, obviously but it's also just like my existence is not singular in a really good way like i am not alone in this mixed identity or i am not alone in being like not an white. Arab woman or yeah yeah, like it's it's just feeling like you are not the first version of someone like you to exist that makes you feel like you're you're in a community or you're you're not alone in that. Especially if you grow up in an area where maybe your community isn't around or maybe like I went to school with in a prep school that was very very waspy. So it was just like okay. knowing that outside of that environment there was more than what I was getting because like whatever you see as a kid is what you think is normal so I think that like giving those windows and mirrors and those opportunities just it's such a breath of fresh air it's such a relief like I remember feeling relieved as a kid yeah (laughs) when you find people yeah when you find people like that people like you represent it I know that that feeling of relief is it's indescribable wait I I I am valid I remember fifth grade was the first year I, I fasted for Ramadan and there was another girl who was Muslim in my grade and it was the first time I had another girl that was Muslim in my grade like ever okay. um, and like I think there was a couple of Muslim boys when I was growing up later but like largely there weren't a lot I wasn't in a grade with another Muslim girl and oh wow it was just 
such a relief. Like, I just remember being like, my family, like, I'm Shia and she was Sunni, but it didn't matter because it yeah. was just like, we are doing this. And like, we can also both field questions from people. Like, yeah. we, like we could, I could sit by you and like, you're going to not eat and I'm not going to eat and it's going to be okay. Like, right. it was just, I still remember. Like, it's still one of those things where like, it really felt like we were in it together in a way that that yeah. was really beautiful at the time and still right was. in a context such as school you are spending every day there and like if you're feeling isolated i mean that that'll change the entire isolated experience. and hungry is really the first <laughs> <laughs> yeah right are there any other issues you touch on well i know there are but can you talk about the other issues you touch on in your writing that muslim girls can identify with oh um i think in not the girls you're looking for i really tried to draw on on the idea of like microaggression rather than like Mm -hmm. intense aggression like I I wanted to take the idea and I think this is because I grew up after 9-11 it's like there were these moments like after say a terror attack where like the the aggression kind of comes to the surface and it becomes really scary and really like physically dangerous for you in a lot of ways um, be that bullying, um, like all across the spectrum. Definitely. And then I wanted to talk about those moments where that doesn't necessarily affect the story. Like, I don't want it to be a story about that issue, but mm-hmm. I wanted to show the ways in which, like, even in a moment where other people might consider, like, the Islamophobia is at a lull, like, it's still coming through in all of these, like, other ways that not everyone else sees and not everyone else registers and I I really wanted Muslim girls reading that to see it to feel seen in that way like to because so many people tell you it's not happening or they tell you that that's not what that means and I think Mm -hmm. just like acknowledging that those microaggressions happen or that that's real I think was really important for me um and for me to put on the page like there's a moment where Lulu goes it's actually one of the few things that I've actually drawn on my real life um, where she's oh. taken on a date and a guy uh, takes her to see a ballet dancer. Like he's oh, like, there's going to be yeah. ballet dancers at the coffee shop. Like that really did happen. And I, I remember just being like, how do you not, I think I wanted to put things in there so that you can not feel insane when they happen. Yes. Yeah. Even yeah, like, like I, was just, I didn't even know that this was something someone could do. <laughs> and the person doesn't even get like why it's a problem. Or why it's yeah, weird. Like, it impacts so much, and you're just like, I gotta go. Right yeah, now. Like, yeah. Like, you're just wanna hit the biggest eject button possible. Like, that's <laughs> all you want to do. Like, danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Yeah. And even the small, like, I mean, it's not insignificant, but the, the small thing of like Layla, how she's like, oh, why does, well, Lulu, short for Layla. How she's like, why does everyone have to sing the song Layla when I just introduced myself? Why is it this big ordeal? Telling someone my name. And yeah. And, when your name is, is often a, a minefield. <laughs> yeah, just you're like, do I have to go through this every time I say my first name? Like people making it this big thing. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like it's done with bad intent, but it builds up over time and you just get tired of over yeah. and over. It's the death. That's by a thousand paper cuts thing. And I wanted to yeah, I wanted yeah. to do that. And yeah. then I also wanted I wanted to see more Muslim girls like me who mm-hmm. identify as Muslim and and practice and also are like I'm really because I grew up with multiple religions and multiple cultures, I'm bad at the idea of strict rules. Yeah. And I always have I really <laughs> think that Yeah, and I think that I felt especially growing up, like I felt like I was bad Muslim is not even the right word but like I was faking my faith at some level and I just wanted girls to not feel that way and I wanted them to know they're not alone in in navigating the the waters of their own faith and their own religion um and I think we really isolate young women and we don't give them the tools to deal with that because there's so much shame like kind of wrapped up in being American and Muslim or potentially in in having a sex life and that's patriarchy right like that's not just being muslim like that's yeah that's a lot of gins and patriarchy but i thought it was really important to just put it out there on the page and you know have a muslim american girl going to the gynecologist <laughs> yeah it was really nice to see when i was a teenager and being like um, right and being like okay this doesn't invalidate the fact that i'm muslim just because i'm like going to an OBGYN, for example yeah, yeah, and I think like, that yeah. you you're worried that if you start talking about that, that you will be less Muslim, or that your mm-hmm. 
and there's so much in that when you're mixed too because like you're trying so hard to show the the people you love and respect and care about who came to this country that you are not invalidating their experience and that you're not you're not rejecting them i think that's i mm-hmm. think that's the really the hard thing to to come to terms with is sometimes you will make different choices than the people who came before you and they have given you this this culture and this religion that you yeah. see as beautiful and that you feel as your own as well and that you aren't rejecting them by making different choices and I think that can be really difficult because I think sometimes older generations really think you are like saying no to who they are and how they lived their life and finding a way to navigate that is something I think that it's a lifelong process and I think it will always happen and I think the more that you can verbalize and learn to communicate which is always difficult with a a different generation that grew up somewhere different um Right. the better it gets. Yeah, and I think people reading a book like books like this help it'll help like give young people tools, ways of bringing up conversations with older family members, hopefully. Knowing how to articulate certain issues that I know that I didn't know how to articulate growing up or even knew there were a lot of things I didn't even know were issues you didn't even know the word for it much much less how to articulate the yeah someone else right right or even tell yourself much less someone else yeah and like i didn't even know certain things were a problem until later in life and i in retrospect Mm -hmm. i realized wow this really did impact my self-esteem or my body image or whatever whatever it was Mm -hmm. um yeah, it's cool that people be able to access those feelings or those um, just those. I think that fiction and, is yeah. to me, fiction is still a space of play. So I think that that's what's mm-hmm. also important about fiction is that it's not necessarily like me teaching you something, but you going into a space and envisioning yourself in a body that may or may not be like you, but that you are working through those problems with them and you are coming up with your own hypothetical solution. So even if you're not gonna do what Lulu does or say what Lulu says, you're thinking about what those problems mean to you and and you're thinking about them on your own level. And that's to me the great gift of fiction is like it teaches you to think and it teaches you to think on your own terms. And you don't have to like a character or agree with her in order to come up with your own solution to similar problems you may or may not run into in life. Yeah, definitely. Like talking to your parents about the, something that's important to you. Like we all have to do that at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like Lulu you know. in the book does things that I'm like, Oh, come on, Lulu. Why? But it's also, <laughs> but it's, but it's like, Oh my God, she's a human. She's a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like, of course she's doing those things, you know, like, and I, and it, it makes me remember when I did some things that I, I wouldn't necessarily do now. Like as a teenager, I'm just, uh, I mean, thinking back to my teen years being like, Oh my God, I did think the way Lulu's thinking right now. And like, what is wrong with us? But it feels so affirming. It's affirming. It is. It's affirming to know you could be your worst self and you can come out of it and you can start to become your best self, right? Like that's that you you don't live in that one space that you can grow and change. And that's I think that's why I love young adult is you you can start with characters in one place and they really because they're in that age range, right? Like your brain is still forming. Like you're still developing who you are. Like you really are changing and you really are growing. And like it's so it's so fun to write on that level because you have characters that are that are changing and and they get to do that in a way that I think in in some adult fiction that people feel it's more serious to have them stagnate um and I oh, find it's yeah. more interesting to watch people grow especially when they don't have I mean young adults tend to have to but the older you get the more it's like you're choosing to grow and change and that's also really rad yeah exactly and as teenagers it's like okay this development is so rapid and i don't know like reading about the way a teenager is thinking you're like oh my god i totally did that at that age what was wrong with me but also it's okay well and i did that with um sana and rachel where they have this misunderstanding where like like you can see how rachel thinks that sana's asking her out as a joke because she's so pretty and popular and Mm -hmm. like so well established in this place and you just think you're so in her perspective and you also are so out of her perspective because you have the distance of the novel to be like oh my gosh no she's not kidding <laughs> yeah like please I, I listen to her I wrote it and i was like she's not kidding and she's like she is messing with me and you're like oh you're my like gosh. no this is taking everything out of her to even bring this up like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like you can like watching all of the clues in her that she's like you can feel that sana has like geared yeah. herself up to do this 
Like you can see that, but like uh-huh. Rachel can't see that at all. And I love, I love that about teenagers, and because you're so, it's like you're so self-conscious, but you're so unself-aware that it's yeah. this beautiful mix <laughs> of like not always aware of what you're doing, but you are trying really hard, and you think you are sometimes more grown up than you realize, and sometimes you're way less than you're trying for, and, and it's a really, it's a really fun mix in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like as teenagers, as teenagers, we're aware of things that no one else's care, like Mm -hmm. cares about. You're like, you you zoom in on these minuscule things about yourself that literally no one thinks about. And and you like, your focus is on these things, like you're self-critical in a a very specific way. And like, so like, is everyone staring at me when I walk into lunch by myself in the cafe? it's like no one's paying attention no to one, you at all like, literally no, no, no one cares <laughs> yeah yeah but you feel that sense of all eyes are on you mm-hmm. as a teenager yourself did you I, I know we kind of touched on this but did you find any other characters you identified with besides like what we've already talked about um oh my gosh I think I was always drawn to to superheroes and fantasy and I think because nice. those are just largely allegories of, of things existing on this on this plane so I love it kid I loved I loved Rogue I think I loved the idea that if someone tried to harm you you would touch them and it would like doubly bold kind of end up back on them I think that was like that really appealed to my sense of justice as a child um yeah and then it also it had that like idea of forbidden romance with Gambit because she couldn't touch him and that felt like I think that really appealed to like my love old Arab and and Persian romance right Mm -hmm. where it's like the kind of long-standing requited on consummated love that I just (laughs) yeah (laughs) just like filled with longing that I love yeah I was I was really into Jane Austen um and I still am and I think that those were those first books that made me feel and think at the same time I love that they had big cast of characters I love that there was a lot of family around I loved that they were again romances based in banter and wordplay and there was there was social commentary baked into something that you could also just enjoy for the plot um, a lot of this is stuff I understood as I got older but like I think that's what I was was really drawn to I talk about this on my Instagram but I loved uh-huh. the Fast and the Furious movies because that was oh. the first time I saw women that looked like me being really capable and making their own kind of romantic decisions and being in the driver's seat quite literally in a lot of yes. the plot scenes yeah and that was I was like 14 when those came out and those were just okay I just remember it was so wild and it's so wild to this day to me too because it's like you get characters like Mia and Letty who are these amazing female characters and at the same time you still have to put up with like boobs as wallpaper and like yeah just like the women in the background are such objects and the women in the foreground are such subjects and it's such a funny it's not haha funny but there's such right. a weird juxtaposition of like it always felt like this weird tax you had to pay to get this thing that you really love that comes with this other thing that is in a lot of movies that is just such a toxic yeah yeah it's so toxic yeah yeah but i remember and just feeling those were such a breath of fresh air because for sure like kicking some dude's ass on the car and like being in charge of herself and her own story and the affected plot and story in a way that most female characters didn't i loved the mummy for that reason too it's deeply orientalizing um but it was also it probably was one of the last it was so fun and i realize so now too it was like i think that oded fair um was also like one of the last he played one of the last characters like i know he's a noble savage character yeah. but he's like kind of one of last like positive Arab characters you got right out like that came out like right before 9-11 and then it was just like a sea of terrorists so I think that that was also why my brain where I was like he's a good guy oh interesting I never I never thought about the timing of that yeah they came out like this summer right before like one of them came out the summer right before and I think it was kind of one of the last like it was the second one but it was like the last yeah for a really long time in terms of like mainstream blockbuster Films, um, yeah, which is wild. And there was probably and a even good... Evie was like theoretically mixed based. I mean, it was Rachel Weisz who's very fair, but it was still like felt like there was something there. There's something, yeah. Sing. I know we took what we could get. Like I, I you just you're really just took it. You're like that's close. I'll take it. I'll take I'll whatever take I get. Yeah, because after 9-11 I I think I want to say it was a solid decade or even more before we started seeing like. Arabs mm-hmm. portrayed in a positive way. I, maybe even longer than that. But it yeah. was a while. It I'm like, a you, long... got some Indian, you got some Indian movies or like Ali, Ali Shalkat 
mm-hmm. was in that, but she wasn't necessarily playing an Arab. Like, and she's mixed race, and like, there were often like kind of downplaying that, but it was like, I knew. And I was like, well, that's okay. That's like, something, yeah. I can get that. I know. Yeah, I, 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 remember, I remember like seeing she, like, eventually finding out she was part Iraqi, and I was so excited. And then, like, the fact that she and I have the same first name, I was like, oh my God. She's like a famous like person me. with my name. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, it was a while. <laughs> I know. It was, it a, was a good chunk of time. Um, uh, yeah, I guess shifting to Sana, I, I want to mention, like, I'm so appreciate the queerness in the book and just really exciting for me to find out about it um, and see that in a book specifically for the demographic you write for. Anyway, so I was wondering, like, when we started this podcast, The Queer Arabs, we were like, oh my god, we're gonna get so much pushback. And we did get some, but it's mostly been positive. And I'm curious if that's been your experience, too. It's almost all been positive. Um, And I think it's because I write for young people. And I I have people, Hmm. even like you, they're like, they're just like, Think, like most people just are like thank you I just wanted awesome. to see myself and yeah and so like I get a lot of that which is like the best because that's why I, I wrote it right like I write yeah I try to write stories that are inclusive so people can feel seen because I remember what it was like to just constantly try to feel seen or try to approximate myself and I wanted to write a rom-com that was queer that the the tension point was that we get in the way of our own romance, not that the queerness gets in the way of the romance. Oh, and I felt like that was something I could write because like I love a rom-com and I wanted to just kind of hit it beat for beat and just produce a standard rom-com. The characters just happen to be more diverse and I wanted that kind of inclusivity. So most of my response has just been people feeling seen and people feeling like they got the same thing that everyone else gets. And I think that that's really beautiful. And I feel really lucky that I write for young people and that's that's what I get. Yeah. Um, and I love how you just portray the queerness, for example, as like just, just kind of a normal standard thing, like teenage thing versus like, oh, I'm going to focus on like how unusual this is, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I, I appreciate I it. Do. Yeah. Oh, good. I think it's also, I know what it is to have that spotlight put on my Muslim identity, and I don't love it. And I think that there's this, um, I don't know if you've ever read Ship It by Britta Lundine, but she was talking about how so many queer stories, especially coming out stories, are centered on the the straight people in the story. And I want to quote her on this because she said it so beautiful. I don't have the quote in my head, but it was basically okay. like, so many of those stories are frustrating because they're centered on what will the straight person think of me rather than telling them the way they should be, which is like a coming of age story, right? right? Like it's like it's that. a coming of age. It's a, it's a sexual awakening. Like sexual awakening is a whole subgenre of coming of age, but mm-hmm. like it's cent- it needs to be centered on that person and not on the other people watching them or experiencing yeah. them and I always felt like too about stories about Muslim girls because it always felt like there was an aside of like explaining the religion or defending a belief in the religion to like the inevitable white person reading that mm-hmm. and I really never want to do that like I really want you to just be immersed in the perspective of the characters that I've written so that you just feel as they feel and you you learn by living in it in that in those moments where you open the book and I feel like that's really important and I feel like that's the important thing that fiction does is it makes you feel and it makes you see without having to constantly explain yourself mm-hmm. yeah it's and a I very think- specific yeah it's a very specific way to learn rather than like mm-hmm. have it spelled out for you like everything spelled yeah. out for you yeah. and <laughs> like if you want it spelled out for you like please get on a wikipedia like maybe That's totally google fine. yeah learn about I've done, yeah, I've done it. <laughs> like Fiction teaches you something beyond that, I think, or fiction can give you something beyond that. I think it was also like, I think younger generations are better about this because they have the internet and they have more access to all sorts of information. And then I think that I really thought about Sana's mom, Farah, and like, she's my age or like in my age range. And like, I think that that also shifts in terms of like, what would I do as a mom or what would I do if my... Like, I would hope that I would be a much better parent and a much more open parent about my child being queer than, like, whatever the stereotype is. And I didn't want... I feel like culture is so beautiful. And to me, I understand that there are people who still have to struggle with coming out within their culture. I don't think I can tell that story, first of all. I don't think that that's my story to to dive into. And I also feel like there are plenty of 
people who experience their culture and it's not always a tension point with who they are and their identities and it doesn't have to be and I wanted a story where it didn't have to be the the stress point of the story the main it was just like both are true like there's still struggles and people are still struggling and those are real and we need those stories and then on the other side I think we just need to normalize that people get to exist with all of these identities and have a love story and that's it and have yeah exactly and like go through just typical teenage stuff just like everyone else we're all teenagers yeah like we've (laughs) all (laughs) we all deal with the mean girls and we all deal with struggling with self-esteem and all the same things as each other and it's not like it's specific to one culture necessarily at all times even like another thing like this is so tight this is such a minor thing but it stuck out to me like how you mentioned with lulu how you brought up the humidity and her hair i was like oh my god someone Mm -hmm. with hair that's unruly like mine is So that was really cool. <laughs> I actually remember that because I've read enough like vintage fiction. And I think this is because I was like a, an old mystery. I loved like golden age mysteries. And a lot of those, especially like the, the second tier ones, you often end up these characters that are like, my hair couldn't hold a curl or my hair fell flat. And it was such a foreign experience to me that like yeah I was like what are you talking about and then I realized it was just like it was about a very specific kind of hair and I just want to like also put my kind of hair or like a range of hair in my books it's such a weird thing to like really care about but I was like yeah hair that like frizzes and gets curly or hair that someone like and Sana's hair is also really important because she's like controlling it so hers is always straightened but I always imagine like there's a she's always straightening it and then pulling it back and like kind of there's a control element so like Mm -hmm. that tells you something about her that her hair is in this straight sleek ponytail at all times like I feel like that's that's also indicative of who she is and like Rachel tries to cut her hair earlier like there's a flashback and she's like oh uh-huh. my gosh this does not look like it does on the gram yeah 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 <laughs> in the cool way oh, that yeah. I have seen to find other boys that look like my hair <laughs> appreciate that so much like it actually it does like you said it seems like it's insignificant but it's really not and I, I used a straightener for about 15 years and just recently I've been like, why, why am I damaging my hair voluntarily every single or every few days? And like, no, like why am I fighting my hair? Right? Yeah, it's not that you can't fine. straighten it, that you, you can't wear it that way, but like, why do I see it's like me versus my hair? It doesn't have to be me versus my hair. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to have waves. It's actually cool. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say it was a year ago like as recent as a year ago when I was like wait it's kind of cool wavy I'll just let it be that way and it feels mm-hmm. he- it feels healthy and it feels yeah it was yeah just... no I did that did you do the same I was like I well and I think what what was what the the moment I realized it is that I was this is gonna sound so bananas but I was yeah. blow drying it with a little bit of a curl into it and then curling it so it had sleek wave like it was like I wanted waves yeah, but I wanted them to be especially like kind of sleeker at the root, and I, and I looked up and I was like, I just <laughs> spent like all of this time and energy to make my hair look like an approximation of what it already does, <laughs> but like what I think of as an acceptable version of that, right? right. Like, like with product and shine, and like there's yeah. no frizz, and I was just like. I have got to stop fighting it. Like, I, and I still like I will occasionally straighten my hair because that's a look I want. But I, mm-hmm. I think learning to like just accept that it is what it is, and I don't have to control it, and I don't have to tame it to make it acceptable for someone else was like really freeing. And just letting yes, it exactly like getting a haircut. Like I get a cut now, so that I'm like it needs to look good with this texture, and it can look good with other textures. But like it needs to predominantly look good with the texture I have. Yeah. Um, which is wavy. I'm not super. Curly. I'm not as actually curly as as Lulu is, or as that I envisioned Lulu is. But like, mm-hmm. it's still like just learning to accept. It's not a. It's not a battle. I have to fight. It's just a. It's just an aesthetic choice that I can make when I want to. Exactly, and it's not <laughs> like it's yeah. It's so nice. It's like oh my god, the straightener is not the default. It doesn't have to be. It can just be like whenever I feel like it, but not the default exactly yeah. it doesn't have to be the default and, and I actually almost it's like once I did that I almost never straighten it I think I've straightened it like twice in six or seven years like it gets straightened when I go to the hairdresser um yeah but like yeah, 
it's it's wild it's it's wild how much you think it's you fight yourself on things that are just the way you were made and it's a funny realization to make as you get older and realize you don't have to fight the fight yeah yeah and it's very symbolic it's symbolic of other things it's like the hair it ties into so many other things like embracing other parts of yourself and absolutely well and like Many women are taught that their hair is not professional. I mean, like with like I can't imagine what black women have to go through I know, every day. Yeah. Like there like there's the culture element that you feel like you're denying or accepting your culture, and then people will tell you what that means, and then there's people at work telling you your hair is or isn't professional, and they're like mm-hmm. you're getting so much messaging and so much signaling, and it's it's just a it's a lot to navigate, and it's a lot of it's a lot of other people's bullshit that they're putting on you. And I think the the more you can release other people's bullshit the better but it's really hard it's really yeah. not an easy thing. it sounds really simple but it's it's a it's a difficult thing to do on your day-to-day life and to potentially face real world repercussions for depending exactly. on your hair yeah like um, uh actually yesterday i went to i live in dc now um i went to the national museum of african-american history and there's a whole section about hair about what we're talking about like um, mm-hmm. like little guides that were put out um, saying, you know, if you want to be part of our organization, these are the acceptable hairstyles. And it just like... I mean, that's still happening. Yeah, right? like, yeah for sure. There are still schools that tell kids they can't wear dreads or tell kids they can't wear braids as part of the like... And they're public yeah. school. I mean, it's not even... In any school, it's, it's tragic. Um, and in a public school, it's just like, what? <laughs> You can't. I know. So yeah, I do. I try to. I try to put as much different hair and wavy hair, or curly hair, or yeah. into just so it feels normal, like those girls with the the hair that wouldn't hold a curl in in so much fiction that I read. Because I just feel like I think the danger is always, and this is again going back to being mixed raced and the thing that I think I was given and mixed religious household is that the danger is always in this idea that there's a single right thing that there's a single narrative that there's a single arab experience that there's a single muslim experience that there's a single queer arab experience like that there is some kind of one narrative that will encompass all of those things yeah, yeah. and one narrative that is the story i think is that's always the danger and i think the more that we can see that there are different kinds of people and different ways of moving through space and different ways in which our identities affect the way we move through space like the better we will be absolutely um, and we won't we won't have as much imposter syndrome like oh wait i don't really fit the standard narrative so should i be telling this story or participating in it yeah i don't look like all these dead white male authors can i (laughs) yeah i don't look like the kind of women i've seen running businesses am i allowed to run it's funny how like just being able to see it really does affect the way you see yourself um And that is also why I put I put girls like Rachel wants to be a filmmaker and Sana wants to be a surgeon and yes, like I want I people who see who have different kinds of futures both creative and in STEM and mm-hmm. and that they're allowed to have those ambitions and also be who they are I think is really really important um, for yeah. just envisioning self. Yeah, it's really refreshing. Before we end this, can you talk about whatever you're able to talk about um what you're working on right now yeah so um i'm into copy edits for my third book it's called this is all your fault Mm -hmm. and it is what i like to think of as empire records in a bookstore so three girls who work together who think they know each other um have a day to save their dying bookstore in chicago their dying independent bookstore in chicago um and they kind of learn about each other on the way yeah so um, uh, when is it coming out it june it's next june i think it's the oh whatever the tuesday is like third maybe but it's that first week in june um 2020 yeah so it was fun there's another um muslim arab girl in there um and it's it's kind of become an exploration that i didn't mean uh to deal with with growing up in mental health and and what it means to try to fight a a battle not the mental health part but the, uh-huh. the the idea that they're fighting this losing battle trying to save an independent bookstore that's dying and i wanted to explore what it means to kind of get in the ring when you think you might not be able to win 
um oh i love that and like the bond the bond that you can form in that experience yeah with each other yeah it's like one girl's kind of a bookstagrammer um and she's latinx and another girl is greek american and she's like a cool girl and a closeted poet and then another girl is she's arab american and um she's dealing with depression and she's not admitting it to herself and she kind of opens by shaving off her head like shaving speaking of hair she shaves all of her hair off which is like the like the crowning like as many as anyone who's listening who's arab and is uh, identifies as female will know that that's like the crowning glory Uh (laughs) uh-huh american girl is like that thick shining black hair and it was it was really cathartic to write all three of them and and to deal with like their anger and their anxiety and their depression and their trying to to see each other the way they see each other and then the way they actually get to know each other is is totally different and i think that that was really fun that's so we come to the table i think with so many assumptions yeah like when you have a shared objective and how that can change your yeah you're like your temporary allies and then you realize you respect the person because you're like oh you actually you just do this differently we want it we want the same thing you just do it differently yeah yeah in the end we all just have the same goal here I really, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. So how can people follow you Can you or contact you, whatever um, you are willing to share? I am at Amina May. I'm largely on Instagram. I'm also at Amina May on Twitter and most places on the internet. Like uh, it's AminaMay.com. Uh, but I'm mostly on Instagram and I'm most active there. Uh, you can also shoot me an email. My email is on my web. I have a contact form there. Um, cool. And I think that's most of it. I think yes. it's actually at Amina May Sapi on Facebook, but I almost never check that. So that's, I think that's mostly a placeholder for like, please go to Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Facebook's slowly going down to the bottom rung of like social media. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like our Facebook page. Well, I think it's because I deleted most social from my phone because I wanted to like not constantly be inundated be on but you it, can't yeah. with Instagram. It's like the only one that's actually on my phone that I have access to like most of the time. So that's really what happened. Yeah, like that's the one you can't just go on your laptop. Yeah, you can't post yeah. from your yeah. So that's why, yeah, if I could post from my web, I probably would be on it a lot less too. <laughs> oh, right, right. I know. I know it's and same with us like our Facebook page is so quiet (laughs) compared to like Instagram Mm -hmm. um so everyone listening you can follow us at the queer Arabs um Facebook if you really want to and Instagram and Twitter and then we have uh email address thequeerarabs at gmail.com and um Ahmed's the host of the Arabic side of the podcast so you can reach out to him at thequeerarabsinarabic at gmail.com and our website is thequeerarabs.com so thank you so much Amina it was was an honor to have you on this talking to you thank you so much for having me Uh, this was a very cathartic conversation oh good (laughs) he's like oh we get it we get each other we do yeah yeah. we stick together yeah we do (laughs) we have to